we're thinking about um, one of the most profound uh, places of Scripture uh, in the Bible is John uh, chapter 11. It's the story of Lazarus. And Jesus, raising Lazarus from the dead, uh, he takes an ordinary man who finds himself at the center of an extraordinary miracle and a divine moment that reveals who Jesus is as a resurrection through a resurrection that precedes his own. We, we sometimes talk about Jesus being resurrected. Well, uh, we know a few times that he raised somebody else from the dead, and that's what happens in this story. It's the story of Lazarus, who also holds a profound impact on us personally and individually. So it's not only about Lazarus being raised, it's about us being raised. In this story, every believer that comes to Jesus is raised as Lazarus was raised from the dead. In the same way Jesus shows up for us, he shows up for us, gives new life to the dead areas of our lives. Lazarus' story is not like a little sermon illustration or an interesting anecdote or a formula for feeling good about your faith. It is nothing less than a glorious, real-life demonstration of spiritual transformation. He raised Lazarus and gave him life. He will raise you and give you life. That is his promise. You know, the greatest spiritual question that we can ask ourselves is not, is there life after death? Lots of people like to ask that question. Maybe a better question, is there life before death? That's a great question. The story of Lazarus offers us an answer to that. Uh, we, we can hear in the midst of this incredible story, the words of Jesus, his I am that says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Uh, he's reminding us that our life is more than just the sum of our activities. Life is more than my work. You know, many times we fool ourselves into thinking that real life can be found in what we do rather than who we are. Jesus says no. The, the realization is sometimes we put life on the back of somebody in our life. That that person, a spouse, a friend, a child, a parent, somebody else in our life tries to become our resurrection and our life when we focus our dreams and needs and desires on that one person. Uh, life is more than money, more than things that we can gain. The Bible encourages us that real life is in Jesus. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life uh, to uh, the full. That's John 10, 10. Uh, other places throughout this gospel that we've been studying, he, he said in John 1, 4, in him, in Jesus, was life. Uh, chapter 3, verse 15, everyone who believes in him, that's Jesus, has eternal or may have eternal life. John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son, Jesus, has eternal life. John 6, 68, he said, you, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. John 17, 3, this is real and eternal life that they may know you, speaking of Jesus, the one and only true God. 
And John 20, 31, which way back at the beginning of this series was our focal point. Uh, It continues to be uh, the title of this series, that you may believe, that you may have life. Jesus said in his last words in this gospel, these are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And in the act of believing, you will have real eternal life that is personally revealed to you personally revealed to you it's so true so uh, as we come to to this story um, he does this miracle to show us who he is reminding us of who Jesus is with every miracle Jesus is doing something uh, in us is being reminded or taught about who he is Here he says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Uh, It shows us who he is and what he can do uh, in our life. So as we look at these together, we start in John chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. Uh, The Bible tells us there was this man named Lazarus. Lazarus was from a town called, called Bethany where he lived there in this village with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, this Mary was the brother of Lazarus who is sick, uh, and she is the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters send word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and, and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Uh, several things about this story. First thing we notice is that Jesus waited. Jesus waited. That's the surprise of the story. It's unusual. Uh, The miracle begins with Jesus waiting. You know, as we walk through this miracle and as we look at it together, we're going to see how Jesus works in ways that are amazing and sometimes unexpected. Lazarus is sick, but Jesus waits. Very clearly, Lazarus is sick unto death, but it tells us that Jesus waited. Jesus knew these people, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, they lived in the same town. Uh, he would many times, it seems, would go there for a place of refreshment for a little while away from the crowds. We, we learn that one of them is Mary. Don't you know that there's a lot of Marys in the Bible, right? <laughs> kind of get all confused about uh, all the different Marys. Well, this Mary, the Bible tells us, is the same Mary who poured perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Uh, when, as we go along in the next chapter, we'll see a little more about uh, his family. But this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is not Mary Magdalene. This is a different Mary. This is Mary, the sister of Martha and the brother of, uh, and the sister of Lazarus. Um, so we see Jesus spending some time with his friends, but Lazarus is very ill. So Jesus hears about it. And his first reaction is, I know what God is doing. I know what God is up to. That should be very exciting to you. When you have something going on in your life and you bring it to God in prayer, God does not go, ah, man, this is a busy week, dude. I don't know how I'm going to get to it. (laughs) He never says that. He always knows what you're dealing with. He's simply waiting for you to come to him in prayer. 
He knew exactly what was happening and he knew how it was going, how it was going to unfold. He says um, that this was not ultimately unto death. However, we know Lazarus did die. And we find out later in the chapter that Jesus resurrects him from the dead. But that's not the end of the story. He says, this won't end in death. This story is not about death. This story is about life. And this story is about God's glory. So just as we're walking through this chapter and Jesus is talking about sickness and illness and death, maybe we end up with the same question that we had in John chapter 9. In John 9, we wondered about the man born blind. What was the reason there? Maybe the question is, does God cause these illnesses somehow? Did God cause Lazarus to go through this illness so that he could create his glory? Does God cause illness and sickness? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. As you read the Bible, you find out that God teaches us about this. And the truth is, rarely does God cause illness. Rarely. Now, once in a while, it does happen. Uh, you might remember the story of the Red Sea when um, the Moses and his family are right there. And Miriam is, uh, Miriam's a little critic, his sister, Moses' sister. And so she doesn't believe. And so in that moment, when there's a great celebration of what God has been doing, God says to Miriam, uh, you, you're, gonna have, you're gonna have an illness. But this illness is so that you will repent of your criticalness of faith and what God is doing. And so God was very clear with her, this is what's happening, this is why, and this is how you can remedy. Most of illness in the world is because we live in a sinful, fallen world, right? That's an important thing for us to understand. Uh, it's not your sin or my sin directly. It's because that we live in a sinful world. So believers and unbelievers, we all face illnesses in the world around us. And in those illnesses, we realize uh, that this world is not all there is. There's going to come a day, Jesus promised it, when there's going to be no more tears, no more crying, no more sickness, no more pain. That's something to look forward to. Amen. Uh, so God is looking forward to that with us, but he says this situation, he didn't cause this to happen to Lazarus, but he says it will be for God's glory for what is about to happen. It's interesting, God's glory. God will be honored in it. God will be exalted in it. Many times when that phrase is used in the, in the scripture, it's talking about Jesus being glorified on the cross, it's many times pointing us toward him, looking toward Jesus. Uh, the glory here is a reaction to the healing that will continue to lead Jesus toward this appointment with glory on the cross. You know, I believe that if you read the Gospels carefully, one of the things that actually pushed Jesus further toward the cross was, a, was an alive Lazarus walking around town. You know, they could come up all they wanted to and say, well, he's not this and not that. How about the dead man that you knew is walking around the streets of your town? That right there drove those Pharisees crazy. I've been telling you that the, the pressure is beginning to mount. That's what's happening here. The pressure is beginning to mount, especially as you get to 12 and we start moving toward the, uh, the cross. And, and so this event 
has a lot to do with that as Jesus' glory is being revealed. Now, um, don't miss what's happening here. Uh, Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved him, but yet he waited. He waited two days. Um, you know what love is doing there? Jesus in his love is not just meeting their immediate need. He's meeting their deepest need. So another thing to learn about Jesus is he's not just on your speed dial so that he can just do what you, he, you want him to do. He has your ultimate best in mind. So trusting him, trusting his timing. You know, you notice in, in the, the book of John, it's always about Jesus' timing. Remember when he was doing the water and the wine, um, his mother saying, what are we going to do? We're out of, we're out of, we're out of uh, wine to drink. What are we going to And he says, well, it's not my time. Well, he eventually does uh, turn that in, into wine. A number of different times we see where Jesus is saying, it's not quite yet my time. You know, Jesus sometimes makes us wait. You know, when you're waiting, if you're waiting for God to come, if you're waiting for him to work, uh, here are three things that you can do when you're waiting. First of all, remember to make sure that it's God that you're waiting for. You know, sometimes I, I'm just in a hurry. I just want it to happen. I just need it to take place. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because we're just human beings. But remember, I'm not just looking for something that I want. I want God's will in my mind. So while I'm waiting, I'm making sure that I'm waiting on God. And I pray, and I pray for God's glory to come through the situations that are happening in my life. Now, I got to tell you, I, I don't like waiting very much. I'm a pretty patient person, but I still don't like waiting. Some of y'all, y'all, y'all just impatient as you can be. I know, I've been around you, right? We're just impatient. But we're praying that in our waiting, because we all wait, don't we? I mean, we all got an, a degree in waiting, waiting on those circumstances, waiting on those situations. Some of you in this room, you're still waiting. Pray for God's glory. Pray that God would work through these situations in your life. And then finally, trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. He knows far more than you do. He knows what is best for you. So trust his timing. So Jesus waited. Secondly, Jesus went. Jesus went. Scripture tells us that um, he said to his disciples <clears throat> after two days, let's go to Judea. But Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews were trying to stone you. We saw that earlier. Yet you're going to go back there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble for he sees the world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Don't you love Thomas? Nah, 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 nah. He's the Eeyore of the Bible, right? Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> so you got this, this fascinating discussion going on right here. Um, Jesus says, let's go. Lord, they were trying to kill us. And so he's, he's got this conversation about daylight and darkness there. What is he saying? He's saying, uh, walk in the light. 
Walk in the light that you've been. He's talking about spiritually. Uh, he's saying walk in the light that you've been given. It is better to suffer in the light than to stumble in the darkness. You see what he's talking about here? He's talking about um, the, the daylight that you see that it's easier to walk in the daylight and when you can see than to walk uh, in the darkness. And so you might think that the greatest danger that you would be in in your life is to be in a place of darkness. But the truth is that the greatest danger in your life is to have light from God and not walk in it. Did you get that? Not just darkness over light, but the realization that God has revealed light. Now, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I can see it on your face. That's what, what, what he means is that God has spoken to you. God has impressed something on your heart. God has shined his light into your life. And if you've been coming to church here very long at all, God, the Holy Spirit, has been shining light in your life. But what gets us in trouble is we've seen the light and chose not to walk in the light, that we walk in our own pathway, whether that looks like darkness or whatever it looks like, but deciding to walk in the light that God has given to us. So the disciples kind of pick up on that. And they realize what he's talking about. And now they're talking about Lazarus and his death. And they're recognizing the, uh, the faith that he says, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may what? Believe. That you may believe. That's what this whole book is about. Is that your belief would be active and alive and present and current uh, in your life. So that's what, how they respond. Thomas said, let's go with him as well so that we can die with him. I'm impressed that Thomas was willing to give his life to go with Jesus. I mean, at the, end, at the end of this whole conversation, Jesus is reminding them, these disciples, that we are coming. Lazarus is dead, and we are going back there to offer our love to him and to his family. That's what love does, right? Love goes. Love, just as he went, he went there uh, to be with him. Now, what happens in this next section is Jesus offers his wisdom. Jesus' wisdom that leads toward faith. Um, he went, and then when he arrives there, he offers wisdom to them. 17 to 27 says Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, so many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Amen. Amen. See, the, the, the statement reaches all the way down 2,000 years uh, to all of us. She said, just what you said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Incredible statement of faith. Jesus arrives, and he immediately is met by Martha, one of the sisters. And Martha goes out to him and said, if you had just been here, you would have healed him. He, I know he's going to rise. I heard you preach that sermon several times. I know, I know. Martha meant that he was going to rise on the last day. Um, 
you know, Jews had this strong belief, just as Christianity does, about the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus says, I got more in mind than that. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. I am that now. Uh, see, one of the reasons that Jesus waited was that he could have this personal moment with Martha, with Mary, and with Lazarus. So he could look them in the eye and have this personal moment for them to truly uh, believe. You see, Martha went out to Jesus looking for assurance, and Jesus gave her assurance. You know, assurance comes from faith. Certainty, belief comes from the faith that we have. I mean, you might be looking for comfort, but it comes with great assurance. The deep assurance comes from faith in Christ. Jesus challenges uh, Martha's faith. Uh, maybe, maybe you've had somebody close to you die, maybe even recently, and you can understand how she's feeling. Maybe you've even lost a brother or a sister. Uh, and what do you believe about what is taking place in that? Uh, this miracle that Jesus worked for Lazarus is also the miracle that he works in our life, the miracle of the resurrection and the life that gives us assurance even when we feel lost. Jesus shows that he had power to give life. He has the power to keep his promises. Notice what's happening here. Uh, through this wisdom, Jesus arrives and he, and he hears, if you had been here. Don't you love that from Martha? What she's saying is that she had faith in what Jesus could do. She had faith in what Jesus could accomplish. If you had been here, I know that he would have been healed. What faith she had. She believed that he could make a difference in, in her life, in the situation that she was dealing with. Secondly, uh, we see, he says, your brother will rise. And so he wants her to have faith in what Jesus says. What Jesus says, uh, I believe that you're the resurrection and the life. That's the highest belief. He says, I believe that in what you say. So she believes in what Jesus can do. She believes what Jesus says. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And what is that? That is faith in who he is. You know, I hope today that your faith is in what God can do. I hope your faith is in what God can, says to us through his word. But the greatest, the highest faith is believing in Christ because of who he is, who he says he is, not just what he says about himself, not just what he can do, but who he is present in your life. You, you, feel, the, you feel the rise there, right? What he does, what he says, who he is. Uh, that's that's our, our growth. That's part of what was happening uh, right here. I mean, when you're looking at what Jesus said, uh, he wants us to trust in who he is, building our faith in him. So Jesus waited, Jesus went, Jesus offered his wisdom. Number four, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It's one of the most familiar sections of the whole Bible. Jesus wept. After Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, same thing, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have not died. And we'll get to the rest of that. But before we, but let's see a Mary moment for just, just a second. Mary goes to Jesus, says the same thing, falls at his feet. Do you notice that this Mary is always at the feet of Jesus? 
She's always falling at his feet, humbling herself before him. She falls at his feet. So we have these two, two sisters that come along and notice how differently they respond to Jesus. One goes out and the other stays in. One's kind of active and the other is a little quieter. Um, one is more reflective and contemplative, and the other uh, is, is active, waiting to be called. Uh, they go out and they seem to, uh, they say the same thing, but they said it in very different ways. As a matter of fact, the, the two phrases, though they look the same, they're slightly different in the original language, and the difference is, is on the emphasis that they said. The emphasis was, uh, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Martha says it, she says it like, my brother. Like, this wouldn't have happened, and I w I'm so hurt over this. My brother. My is the emphasis. When Mary says it, the emphasis is on the word brother. We are heartbroken. Everybody can, can relate to that. It's just, the reason I point that out is I just want to tell you, aren't you glad that Jesus ministered to both of them? I meet people sometimes that have this feeling that because of my personality or because of my, the way that I am, the way I think about things, you know, God, oh, God really loves Dallas, you know, goodness. I mean, who wouldn't love Dallas, right? I'm just picking on. But sometimes, you know, you see people in your life and you say, wow, they seem really close to God. God, God must really love them. But then you look at yourself and you think, man, I've really let him down. I've really blown it. And, but I will tell you that God does not look at your personality and decide whether to love you and minister to you. You can have the weirdest personality in the room. Don't raise your hand. Wherever you are, God knows you. He knows the intimate details of who you are. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. They were totally different. They dealt with their struggles differently. So if you're in this room today and you're one of those people that, that thinks, well, God really doesn't know me. You know, if he, if, I mean, it really, if you knew who I was, you would know I'm not one of God's favorites. All of us are God's favorites. He's able to love all of you. And uh, so I'm not telling you that so that those of you that already think that can think it. I'm talking to those of you that don't believe that, that don't go to him like you should because you think there's some barrier between you and him. That some things that have happened in your life or how you were treated or things that have gone on and that they hold you back from him. He's never holding back. He opens his arms wide to all of us, all of us of different personalities. I didn't really intend for this to be in the sermon, but I couldn't resist it. Are you glad that he'll come to you? He'll meet you where you are, exactly what he did here. Now, what we see happen says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied. Then this verse, Jesus wept. Say it. Jesus wept. Say it again. Jesus wept. It's John eleven thirty five. It's the shortest verse of scripture uh, in the Bible. 
the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he have not opened the eyes of the blind man? Could the one who had opened the eyes of the blind man keep this man from, die, from dying? Jesus sees the weeping. The Bible says that he was deeply moved and troubled, deeply hurting. He was troubled. He was distressed. He was restless. Here he is. Where is he? They said, here he is, Lord. And Jesus wept. Love shares tears rather than pointing fingers. In this moment, Jesus is compassionate rather than condemning. Instead of saying, don't you know why I, what I can do? Don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? He didn't say any of those things. He cried with them. Instead of telling them what was wrong with their crying, he cried with them. Jesus wept. Man, I'll tell you something else. Not only does Jesus come to us regardless of our personality, you don't have to lose all your emotion when you come to faith. It is all right to cry over the things that hurt you because God cries with us. He cares about the things that, that break our heart. You know, I, I, I've heard this. You know, it, it's almost like sometimes preaching can make you feel like that you shouldn't have any negative emotion about your circumstances because you're a Christian. God is great. God is awesome. He can do all things. Man, I know all that in my head, but my heart hurts sometimes, right? You don't have to lose your emotion and your hurt because when you hurt, God hurts with us. You know, we see this picture. He's not some kind of sterile God walking on the earth with us. Don't you, you ever watch some of those movies about Jesus? There's a few of them. They are odd. You know, they, they're odd because they, Jesus acts like he's walking two feet above the air. You know, he's got this little halo on and just, he's just walking around and, you know, that's not Jesus. That's not the Bible, Jesus, is it? I mean, he had emotions. He, he cared about people around him. He, he cared about the hurts of those around him. You know, he wasn't just floating along. You know, that, that's kind of a picture of the, uh, a kind of an old way of viewing things way back. But Jesus had emotion. He had emotion. He expressed it. And when we grieve, when we hurt, we have emotions and God relates to us. Aren't you so happy about that? He, not, your personality is not a barrier. Your emotions not of a bear. Hey, how about this? What do, what do we do when people are hurting and struggling? We enter into life with them. That's what Jesus did. Even though they're confused, uh, he doesn't say, you ever heard it? Don't, don't raise your hand on this one. Stop your crying. I mean, let me tell you. I mean, what is your sniffling about? Nah, 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 nah. You know, go on and on. Uh, why are you? We got to be careful about that, you know? Because sometimes we all cry. Sometimes we all hurt. And what is, what is Jesus' example? Get, in, get involved with hurting. Get involved with the crying. He didn't do that. He cried with them. Um, he cried with them. I heard about this little girl. She was about six. And uh, the neighbor, uh, not directly across, but over there, uh, lost a child. I was a little bit older than her, but she knew her and they played together and this child uh, died. And so this little six-year-old said, Mom, um, would it be okay if I went over and saw her? This is a few days after um, 
And so this little girl, mama walks her across the street and lets her go in. And she says, mom, I, 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 wanna, I wanna visit with her. And so mom, mom stays and the little girl goes in. And I don't know, 15, 20 minutes go by, mama's waiting and this little girl comes out and they're walking home. And she said, well, what, what'd you say to her? And she said, well, I didn't really say anything. I just crawled up in her lap and held her hand and hugged her. You know, you got to get involved in somebody else's life when they're, when they're hurting. I love that about that little girl. You know, sometimes just the presence of God, just the presence of, of your presence that, that is there with us. There's so many things we can learn uh, from what is happening right here. Now, as we get to the, uh, to the final word here, not only did Jesus, was, did he weep with them, but then Jesus worked. Jesus worked. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. This is verse 38. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor that has been there for four days. If you remember the old King James, the old King James says, it's been four days and he stinketh. Yeah. The, <laughs> That's quite an interesting translation there, right? So NIV says it's a bad odor. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. And I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off your grave clothes and let them go. Isn't this what you would expect of Jesus? We are not shocked uh, that he did it. It's an amazing scene. But Lazarus is brought back uh, from the dead. Uh, Jesus says, take away the stone. And he's been in the grave for four days. Uh, I mean, don't miss the point. He comes and he prays this simple prayer. Uh, the, the miracle that comes for one who can work. Jesus is a wonder working, miracle working God. He says, take away the stone. Martha says, it's going to smell bad. Um, four days. Why is that important? Why did Jesus wait? Well, many believe that four days was a, an absolute certainty, that um, the way that they would do the burials, putting in a cave like that, that maybe somebody after two days could kind of uh, get a little better, and if he just really didn't die, he might could have come back. I mean, the third day, uh, for sure, uh, there was even a popular Jewish myth that on the third day, your spirit was still kind of hanging around, but on the fourth day, all bets were off. I mean, it's done it's on, on the fourth day, and so uh, however Jesus was looking at it, there is no doubt. He said he was dead and now he is brought back uh, to life. He said, I want you to take away the stone. Isn't that interesting? I think he could have went, Poof, you know, just like that and knocked the stone away, but he didn't because he wanted them to be a participant in what was happening. They take the stone away. They have this terrible smell. They, uh, and then he shouts, Lazarus, come out. You know what Lazarus means? The name Lazarus means God is my help. God is my help. God, this was his only opportunity. Only God could accomplish what happened in this story. Now, uh, there's this big discussion about this verse. Did he really need to call him out by name? 
Uh, the funny thing about it is that some people say that if he hadn't called by name, everybody would have got up uh, and, and come out. Uh, what was the, uh, it was like looking at Michael Jackson in that, that video, you know, uh, what's the thriller? Thriller. There it is. Uh, uh, uh I, I'm not sure about all that, but what I do know for sure is that Jesus is very personal when he works miracles and when he brings us out of those dark places in our life. When he brings back the dead, you know, he, he, he comes to all of us. He says, Tony Ferguson, get out of that grave. Get out of that darkness. He says, Michelle, come on, get out of there. Don't stay in there anymore. You know, he doesn't just say, okay, all of y'all, I just want you to get out of your darkness. I, just, I you know, before we leave today, no, no, no. He's, he looks at Randy, he says, Randy, come out, come on out. You did that, didn't you? Yeah. Yes, you heard that voice, called him out, out of pure, pure darkness, right? right? Randy, come out. And Randy, where is he, where is he sitting today? Sitting in church, <laughs> right here, <laughs> right? Come out, calls you by name. Okay, so we're going to practice a little role playing, all right, you ready? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to say your name, and I want you to say come out. Now, I don't have time to run around and call you all names. I, I, I could do it, but I'm... Uh, uh, I want you to say your name and say, come out. Okay, this is practice because you're not going to do good on the first one. So we'll just, uh, uh, all right, so, so here we go. You're going to say your name and say, come out. Ready? Lloyd, come out. That's what you would have heard. Lazarus, come out. And this example is that he finds us in our darkness. He finds us all wrapped up in grave clothes. He finds us in our struggles. And then he comes to us. Are you ready? Let's stand up and say it this time. Say it loud. All right. He, he sees you. He's called you out. He's cried tears for you. And then he says, ready? Lloyd, come out. Say it again. Lloyd, come out. You can sit down now. All right. Um, he is wanting to bring back you from the dead places in your life. What a scripture this is. What a moment it is as he's standing before us. That's why I love the song. We sang it a while ago. I came out of that grave. We love shouting that out, uh, praising him. He wants you to live a life with being set free from all the dead things that are hanging on you. Uh, I got two things and we'll go to communion. How do I bring out, how do I bring what is dead in my life back to life? How do I bring what is dead in you back to life? Number, there's five things here. Number one, you have to know that Jesus cares. If you don't think Jesus cares about what is all wrapped up in, in the, the darkness or struggles of your life, if you don't think he, you, he cares, you will never get set free. You'll never even hear him call you, call you out. He wants you to know that he cares. Number two, he tells them to, to move the stone away. So the second thing you do is that he asks you to do something by faith. Now, I don't know what that is for you, but it, it might be different for all of us. You know, if you want to be set free, you are reminded that he wants you to do something about it. Thirdly, Jesus prays, and he prays with faith and for faith. And fourth, he calls out calls out by name this powerful voice that we hear. And in fifth, he says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So what does all this mean to us? 
What does it mean? It, what, it means that things that have died in us and in our lives that can be brought back to life. Know that he cares. Know that he loves us. Hear his voice. Hear that powerful voice that he has that calls out your name. We respond in practical ways. We do things that help us respond to him. You know what they did? They didn't just, he didn't walk down the street with the grave clothes on. He started taking stuff off. You, you have to, you got to hear his voice and you got to do what he asked us uh, to do. All right, the band's coming. Um, we're we're going to sing this song in just a minute. Um, I think I'm going to have the communion people come as well. Here's what I want you to think about as we take communion today. Jesus calls out to us in such a personal way. He calls you by name. He relates to you, all of your circumstances, all of your needs, all those things that are going on around you. He knows all the dead places, and he cries out by name, come out. Now, before, before we serve here, I just want to ask you, just think about this. I thought about all these thoughts before, but I had a new thought. I wondered what Lazarus' response might have been. And I heard this song, and the songwriter said, you came, you came. I knew that you would come. You came. Somebody told me one time that, uh, that maybe he said ta-da <laughs> when he came out. I don't think so. He said, you stood outside my grave with tears still on your face. I heard you say my name. My night was turned to day. You came. I knew that you would come. You sang. My heart woke up. I'm not afraid. I see your face. I'm alive. You came. I knew that you would come. He came. He didn't forget you. He didn't like somebody else better than you. He saw you. He saw you in your darkness. He saw you in your sin. He saw you in your brokenness. And he came. He came. He showed up. Over and over in this song, it says, you are a miracle working God. You are a miracle working God. You are a miracle working God. You turn my fear into faith. You raise me up from the grave. You came. This morning, he's reminding you. He shows up. He shows up. Oh, there might be some delay. It might not be on your timetable. But could you believe this morning that when you're standing all wrapped in grave clothes and you can't find any freedom at all, he comes. They're going to sing this song while we're passing the elements here. But I want you to think about, do you believe that not only did he come for Lazarus, he came for you? Jesus, thank you 
for these elements that we're about to receive. Thank you for this incredible, profound story that we have heard. But Lord, if all that happens is that we walked into this room and we heard a story and we felt a little something and we ate some bread and juice, but today's our Lazarus day. Today, you come, you show up. I knew you would. I know who you are. You came. Would you come right now and set some of us free? In Jesus' name, please serve us. Please sing for us. Miracle. 
working God. You are a miracle working God. Say it again. You are a miracle working God. Since we're kind of finishing with Lazarus, um, I, I wonder what it was like. Grave clothes are off. Um, I'm, I'm sure they were, uh, I'm sure they, you know, he hadn't eaten for four days. So, you know, so I had to have a meal uh, to gather around together. Uh, he probably makes a speech and he says, uh, he came. Maybe Jesus is sitting right there at the table. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for what you did for me. Thanks for not forgetting about me. Even though my personality was a little different or uh, I had all this stuff going on in my life or I felt all this bondage and just wrapped up in all these things. Thanks for not forgetting for me. Thanks for coming to my grave, calling my name. You came. You know what they did then? They ate and they drank in celebration. Today, you can be free. If you already know what I'm talking about, then you can't wait to eat and drink because you know, you know what he has done in you. We praise him for that. But if you're in a place of bondage, today's your day. Today you can say, he came, met me right where I was. The bread that we have is bread to remind us that Jesus Christ gave everything, gave his body so that it could be glorified and exalted so that we would know his love for us and his forgiveness. He gave his life on the cross for you and we eat this bread in remembrance that Christ died for us. This juice, the blood of Jesus that streamed down his face down his back as he was beaten, nails in his hands and feet, and he went there voluntarily. He came. He came. Gave himself on a cross for you. And just like he set Lazarus free, he sets us free. Today we drink this juice in remembrance that Jesus Christ gave his life, shed his blood for us. Let's drink together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you came. We knew that you would. You came. In Jesus' name, everybody said together. Amen. Amen. Blessings of God be on you.